Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host, V. Mama Mentality for Life. Today is May 7th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are quarantined and social distancing due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we're still going to figure out a way to bring you a great show at all costs. And on today's show, we will talk to Clutch Sports agent and attorney, Kelton Crenshaw. He's going to talk to us about everything, man, from all of his experiences with LeBron James, how he became an agent, how he became an attorney. He was a promoter, his experiences with Emory and Rock Nation, and so much more. We will also do a news and notes segment talking about all kinds of things in sports, music, and pop culture from Chris Brown, Young Thug, the NBA, the Cleveland Browns, RIP Don Shula, The Last Dance, and so much more. Make sure that you guys definitely check out our Patreon. Don't forget that our subscribers will get their episodes a night early on Wednesdays. Check out Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash boys podcast. And don't forget, grab your, grab your Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? are listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Our next guest is an NFL agent and attorney for Clutch Sports Group and also an entrepreneur. Please welcome to the show, Kelton Crenshaw. What's up, Kelton? How you doing? Doing well, man. How y'all doing? Staying safe out here, man. Yeah, that's all we can do. Thanks for joining us, man. You're doing well, man. After you had a nice draft there. Congratulations. Thanks, man. I appreciate y'all having me on, man. Oh, no problem. Definitely. So, we, you know, we wanted to have you on. Obviously, uh, Columbus helped, helped us, us reconnect, but um, we've known each other's story yeah. for quite a while. And I think why we wanted to have you on is because you really do have a fascinating story that has many different layers to it, right? From branding to the, the agent world to being an attorney. You had a kind of a, always had a, a plan, it seems like in terms of trusting the process, right? And having your own process of how you were going to achieve success. We first met, I think back in 2005 or 2006 in Cleveland when you were <laughs> rich, rich wasn't, wasn't rich, rich Paul yet. And you weren't Kel Kelton Crenshaw and I wasn't myself yet, but we were all just young guys trying to figure out a way to, make it in a very, very fascinating but difficult industry, right? And um, at that time in, in Cleveland, it was like something that the city had not seen before with, with LeBron's first run in Cleveland, kind of celebrities coming to town at that, that rate and the opportunity to even have celebrity-centered centered parties was unique at the time. But at that time, we were just throwing parties. Um, Kind of, <laughs> we were just trying to have a good time, trying to figure out what we were doing. Did you, and I think you were at Cleveland State at that time. Can you kind of take us into that start, how you got involved with 8081, how you got involved with Rich? 
Yeah, so I actually, I was out of school. I had just finished under, well, I graduated undergrad in 02. So a few years before, you know, I met you, I, I was finished, uh, I finished undergrad, but I met Rich at Cleveland State, uh, probably like our second year. So like right around the time, like he was getting cool with LeBron and, you know, their relationship was developing. It was kind of around the same time that Rich and I became close. Um, you know, we met kind of similar to how he met LeBron, you know, like Rich, like, it was crazy because I had switched to night school for a semester and everybody was telling me like it was this dude at school that, you know, was kind of on my heels as far as dressing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, you know, I had a you know, I had a little reputation for putting some clothes on. So, you know, they like, yo, this dude Rich, he on your ass, you know. <laughs> you know I had switched back to days like the following semester and I had bumped into him into like I had bumped into him at the in the UC. I was like, yo, what's up, man? I'm Kelt, man. You know, I heard you've been killing it with the clothes and whatnot, and we just got cool. And, like, around that time, he was starting to get connected with the guys in Atlanta, just in replays he was selling jerseys from. So I started buying jerseys from Rich, and we just got super close. And so how did how did you guys then transition your, your friendship into a business relationship with 8081? So as far as with 8081, so, you know, Rich – one of his best friends is a guy by the name of Edward Givens. Everybody knows him as either Duck or Smalls. Uh, yeah. so, you know, Rich was already kind of like, you know, around like 05, Rich was already like doing a lot of like crazy stuff, like stuff that you, you know what I'm saying? Like young dudes from Cleveland just don't do. Like, you know, taking private jets and car games with Jay-Z and, you know, just, it's crazy shit like that. Right. Okay, sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> nah, you good. Nah, you good. You good. <laughs> you good. Uh, yeah, so like, Duck and I were still, you know, we were in the city, like, you know what I'm saying? So me, he and I got real cool just because, like, we were always around. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we had, you know, we traveled a bit. But, uh, you know, obviously Rich was traveling on a higher level. But just in terms of like the nightlife and certain things we were seeing in other markets, we felt like Cleveland didn't have. It was kind of like either you had like what Arnold was doing at the time, which was kind of like grown and sexy, mm-hmm. for lack of a better uh, term, or yeah. like just straight hood. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. It wasn't really like a lot of people around in terms of our nightlife. So we just kind of came together and we're like, yo, let's do something. You know, let's try to carve our own lane out. And, you know, obviously, you know, with, you know, the relationship we had with LeBron, it, it just, we were able to pretty much go into any venue and say, look, you know, we can't promise LeBron will be here, but if he goes out, then, you know, he's probably going to come to one of our events. So mm-hmm. we just were able to leverage that relationship. And, you know, that's kind of how we created 8081 from, you know, the event side. And then, you know, later came the blog and, you know, some of the, the that was like our first four-way, foray into like some of the corporate you know, events and, you know, the, the more upscale stuff with, like, LeBron's brand partners and whatnot. Right. Talk a little bit about, about that time during Cleveland, too, because, you know, we I used to be out there partying with V and and all you guys, too, and just it was just an exciting time in Cleveland. And not to say it's not exciting now, but that period of time just yeah, seemed special. It was a different energy, for sure. Uh, you know, especially, like, it's, it's crazy because, like, you know, we were even joking about it the last time Brown was here, like, when we won the Eastern Conference Championship in 07, I mean, you would have thought we won the championship. Right, right, yeah. Right. You know, we partied the whole night. I mean, it was just so much excitement in the city. Like, 
every, you know, everybody was like, you know, it, it was just turned up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then like, you know, fast forward to when he came back the second time, we went to the finals four years in a row. Like when we right. when we won those Eastern Conference Championships, nobody even cared. Like, right. Yeah. Like, right. like outside, like it was kind of crazy. So, I mean, just, it was like a fresh energy, like V was saying, just in terms of like, you never know who you'll catch at a Cavs game. Like mm-hmm. I remember like, you know, Jay-Z, you know, being with Jay-Z, like in, like back then they had a little area the queue. You probably remember V called the vault. Yeah. We were all in the vault kicking it like with Hove. Like, so, I mean, just things that you would never think would happen in the city like Cleveland. You know what I mean? Because like mm-hmm. people don't really, it, Cleveland is like one of those cities that's like an old money town. I mean, you guys know you're from here. I mean, mm-hmm. you're from here. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, but it's not like the social scene isn't there at all. Not we have you know three major sports teams. It's a lot of money here. Mm-hmm. Not really, like the social life just isn't, isn't where it's at. Shouldn't be, I guess, if you will. Right. Yeah, and I think I think what happened at that time is like we brought in energy from outside, right? right. Um, and I think that's what helped. They hadn't seen stuff like that, so initially people caught on. But it's it's hard to sustain anything in the in that market. But what I wanted to right. touch on in terms of what being in these spaces do, right? There are a lot of people who just enjoy the fact that, yo, I got to spend a night out with LeBron or I got to spend a night out with Jay-Z. Wow, I got to meet him. But I think there's a separate group of people who take those opportunities and actually look at them as opportunities for themselves, right? And I think that that's, that's what all of you guys have done um done in a way when when did that start coming into your mind like there's something bigger here than just partying and having good events and making a couple thousand you know at the door um i mean i guess the simple answer is i just felt like i didn't really have like me personally like when you're like meeting these people and you're networking, like saying that you throw parties just doesn't really read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I go to law school and I say I'm an attorney, someone might have, you know, an opportunity for me that's, that's like actually sustainable. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, like with the nightlife, you're constantly like trying to reinvent yourself. And, you know, it's just a constant, yep. especially in a place like Cleveland where you're not like, when LeBron left, I mean, 80-81 was still was rolling, but we had to pivot. And, like, you know, we just saw, like, how the energy in the city just died down those years when he was in Miami. Like, it, right. so I just kind of felt like I didn't really, like, I didn't want to continue to have my career and my livelihood tied up in such a fickle uh, business model, if you will. Mm-hmm. I understand completely. We, uh, you know, we were once – consider promoters <laughs> you know i also went to law school too i'm a lawyer i don't know if yeah, you know yeah. that but um and and you're right though there's there's kind of a, a a different way people treat you you know when they think that you're just a promoter so to speak versus even just being in law school you don't even necessarily have to be a lawyer yet right they, people start to take you a little bit more seriously and i realized that started to happen um, with us what was it that inter- that made you feel like law school specifically though, was the move for you as opposed to different other things. You're a smart dude, so you probably could have done many other things well. well. I just kind of felt like, you know, being in Cleveland, like, it's a city, it's a blue-collar city, it's very trade-based, and I felt like 
you know, I could get my MBA with like a concentration in marketing or something like that, but it wouldn't really do me any good in Cleveland, mm. in my opinion. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like you know, being a lawyer and an attorney is like almost like a trade. Like you're like it's a thing. Like I'm an attorney. Right. Like, right. It was like you're not an MBA. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that, I know it probably sounds kind of dumb. But I understand yeah, what you're saying. I understand you know what you're saying. saying? Like, yeah. You have your master's. It doesn't really give you any extra uh rights to you know like there's nothing that's like like you have to swear in when you're an attorney like you don't mm-hmm. have to swear in when you get your masters and i just mm-hmm. felt, I, you know i had a decent amount of experience as an entrepreneur you know i was already kind of making moves on my own and i you know i just kind of felt like well this is like you know the the, the legal route would give me some skills that i hadn't really tapped into in my opinion and you eventually ended up taking the bar in New York, is that right? Yeah, I never took it in Ohio. I, I took it in New York. Um, yeah. Because at the time, like, so towards the end of my law school, I had linked up with these guys that had this footwear customization company. And, you know, they were working with Emory, who was like Jay Z's best friend. So this mm-hmm. was shortly after Emory had just came home from, you know, his situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were doing some consulting. We were doing like, you know, we had this shoe called the Brooklyn Zoo that Jay-Z wore, the opening night at Barclays. It got us a bunch of attention. So I was in New York a lot. So I figured, I actually thought I probably was going to end up moving to New York. Mm. Uh, so that's why I took the bar up there. Well, it's funny. I'm barred in New York, too. I'm from Columbus, but I, I went to New York for uh, NYU for law school, took the bar in New York, lived there. And, you know, since 2002. So it's just, uh, I understand the value of it. And I also have to imagine too, just a little bit on that, one more question on that, is just kind of the cachet, right, of being barred in New York, being an attorney in New York versus being an attorney elsewhere. Did you also realize the magnitude of that kind of that cachet when you were deciding where to take it? Or was it more just, that's where you were physically? No, yeah, I mean, I felt like it had, you know, it held a little more weight in terms of, you know, circles I was traveling in, you know, it just like you said, it definitely has a bit of a you know. I mean, obviously, I, I got major love for Ohio, but you know, yeah, just, of course. You know, when you say you're, you know, licensed to practice law in New York. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I want to I want to spend a little bit of time on the fashion part. You, we kind of got an idea of how you, where the inspiration came from um, back in back in college and school <laughs> when you were dressing. But you've made some major moves and been part of some major movements in that space um with 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 tacma um and with um i think to a degree with the work you've done with emory right. how take us into how you turned or found that opportunity of taking your passion for fashion and creating and getting involved in an opportunity where you could turn that into a business well i mean to be honest with you i never thought it would happen you know what i mean especially like being in cleveland it's just not a fashion you know, it's not even on the radar in terms of fashion, yeah. <laughs> right. like a fashion hub or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I honestly literally never thought it would happen. I, I owned a bar up here. Uh, a guy that was DJing for me at the time, he was, you know, good friends with these guys that had that customization company. And that's when yeah. I saw that there was actually a chance to kind of monetize my passion for fashion. Uh, you know, they were kind of going through some things uh, financially. And at the time I was doing okay. So, you know, I just kind of, you know, helped them bootstrap the business. And, you know, you know, obviously I had the relationships with LeBron and some athletes 
Emory on the Jay-Z side. So, I mean, we were getting great placements. We were getting a lot of uh, attention from the media. And, you know, we were able to kind of leverage that and to do some consulting things. We had a great partnership with New Era for a few years, which, you know, like me and Emory joke all the time, like when we were doing stuff with New Era, they were kind of dead. Like the fitted hat was dead. Everybody was on Mitchell and S. Everybody was on snapbacks. And now you see the pendulum swing, swinging back. And we felt like we played a major part of that with Emory with the paper planes hat some of the collaboration oh, yeah. that we did with New Era to kind of bring attention to them and kind of make, you know, some, you know, people that actually move the needle feel like it was kind of cool to embrace New Era and kind of bring that energy back into the headwear space. Yeah, and I want, you know, you can kind of segue into that. It's, Emery's a fascinating character. Everyone knows him right. from Jay-Z name dropping him and 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 what what he did for him, right? Back in the day, but you know, you introduced me to him at the All-Star game in Houston. Okay. Um, and what was fascinating, he had just gotten out. What's fascinating about him is this is a guy who spent a long time out of the world, right? right. But he's come back and he's able to move culture forward. Right. What what makes what made him able to do that? You've spent a lot of time working with him. I mean, and what do you think? Go, go ahead, I'm sorry. And what do you think is is the reason behind him coming out and not being able to skip, not even skipping a beat and establishing uh, himself? Yeah, I mean, you know, Emory is he's a special guy, man. You know what I'm saying? Like Emory is is one of the brightest, sharpest. I mean, and some people just get it. Like he's an inherently fly dude. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, like it, it was easy for him to kind of maneuver and and you know pick up a lot of speed and he was just passionate like you know and that's a lot i picked up a lot of things with emory's you know especially you know watching him because you know we were similar similarly situated in terms of having strong relationships with like mega you know celebrities or people of like you know that are very you know held in very high regards mm-hmm. but at the same time like i never he never took it for granted you know what i'm saying like every day he got up he went to the office, you know, the Rock Nation office every day, worked all day. Like, he wasn't, like, he never took it for granted. He was never like, oh, you know, Jay's my man. He owes me mm-hmm. whatever in the past. It was, you know, he, he embraced, you know, he embraced it, you know, with open arms, and he just he grinded, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember, like, those early Puma meetings, like, just, like, you know, they always, like, yo, Emory, what's up with Jay? And Emory just held him off, he, you know. He was he was very he was super strategic in the and throughout that whole process because like you look at so like the Meek Mill Puma relationship that was like one of the first big relationships that Puma had like on the Rock Nation side and they transitioned from him to Rihanna and that kind of put Puma back on the map from mm-hmm. a fashion lifestyle standpoint and then like after they had done a bunch of great business and great things together. Emory kind of finally felt like it was time to, you know, bring Jay into the fold and, you know, the rest is history. When you're behind the scenes, like on some of those, you know, some of those deals or at least seeing some of those deals happen or help even creating them, right? You, you, you're actually shaping culture, right? And you're shaping experiences for people, things that people will look back on and be like, oh yeah, I remember that period of time. That was a significant period of time in my life. Do you feel like you kind of understood 
um, as you were kind of involved behind the scenes with these brands and marketing, do you feel like you understood the magnitude of what was actually happening while it was happening? Or is that something that, you know, you will reflect on later on in life? I always felt like I did, uh, you know, just like, I, I kind of always felt like I did understand the magnitude. I, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes, you know, even like our brand partners and other people might not have really understood. Right. But I kind of always knew, you know, just based on the people that we're involved with, the relationships that we have, you know, when we set out to do something like that's our, you know, our goal, our mission is to impact the culture on some yeah. level, no matter how small or how big, you know what I mean? Like, and I knew, just based on even like what we did with 8081 in Cleveland, which kind of branched out throughout the Midwest. So, you know, I always felt confident that, you know, anytime the platform gets bigger, you know, we have an opportunity to, you know, to impact more and more people because if I could do it in Cleveland, I felt like I could do it anywhere. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you had the fashion part of your lifestyle brand experience but you've also learned a lot about the liquor business, right? <laughs> um, with your partnership, you partnered with, with Emery again on, on the Duce side of things, um, which is the Cognac, um, Jay-Z's Cognac brand. Um, and now I'm excited about your partnership with, uh, with Jacques and Fabulous with, with Flo. Um, tell us a little bit about, about that industry, how you got involved and why you think it's it's growing so rapidly um, from a culture standpoint. Well, I mean, you know, you figure, I mean, as being, I mean, you know, you, both of you guys know just from being promoters, I mean, alcohol is obviously, you know, you, you meet liquor reps and, you know, you see what people are into with a drink. And so you kind of, you know, you get a feel for, you know, the liquor business from mm -hmm. that, from that uh, entry point, if you will. So just like I said, I owned a bar, you know, the, the promotions, things of that nature. And then once Duce started rolling, you know, uh, you know, I, we helped cultivate a lot of the energy and excitement about that in the Midwest, you know, via our relationship with Emory. And, you know, it was just, it, you know, it was just a great partnership. You know what I mean? Like Emory, he really, you know, cause Jay doesn't do like a lot of parties and stuff like that. So like, during like a lot of the, the various tours that Jay was doing, like Magna Carta, uh, the first on the run tour, you know, Emory was hosting a lot of those after parties and they were, you know, we were able to leverage Duce with Emory to, to create some excitement and energy around the brand. And, you know, Duce has grown tremendously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, you know, that kind of led to the flow situation. Just, you know, I mean, B, you know, Jack pretty well. Yeah, um, but you know, Jock and I, we went to high school together. You know, we've been friends for you know, I mean, you're talking '95, like '96, '95. So you know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah. So you know, we had reconnected randomly. He was like, "Yo, I got this this, this vodka I'm doing." You know, and I, obviously I had been hearing about it, but I didn't really know how serious he was about it until like I sat down with him and like we drove out to Milwaukee. Couple of weeks after that, he has like he had like a, a a huge partnership with the Milwaukee Bucks at the time. He had like a lounge, mm. Bradley Center. He makes things happen, man. He's a miracle like, worker. He had like four, you know, floor, you know, court size seats, you know, that were like branded with flow. So, you know, I say, wow. I really like you know, Jock is 
No, he's serious about it. Right. Like, I mean, cause you know, like Jack's a cool dude. You know, he's yes. a hustler. So I figured, you know, he was gonna make it happen on some level. But like to see it for myself, mm-hmm. I was like, yo, wow, this is, you know, this is major. So yes. like, you know, I started like kind of chipping in and just giving him some advice and, you know, sharing some 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 insight that I had just from being in it, working in the liquor business and, you know, some of the relationships I had. I, you know, try to familiarize people with the brand. And you know, one time we were riding home from Milwaukee and he was like, yo, I, I want to get a rapper to, you know, lock in with the brand. Like, who, you know, an artist, I should say. He didn't say specifically rapper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I want to get an artist to kind of tie into the brand to kind of help, you know, spread the brand name and get some awareness out. And I was like, you know, Fab, I think Fab will be dope just because I remember what he did with like the Cocoloso with Ciroc you know, hypnotic back in the day. So like hypnotic. Yeah, Fab is always like one of those guys. He's like, you know, he's like our age, like, you know, our age, but he still is tapped in with like youth culture and he has a lot of influence. He influences the influencers, which mm-hmm. is like I hate that term, but it's true. Yeah. So right. you know, I kind of felt like he would be dope. So I reached out to Lenny and uh Kodak Lens on Instagram for Lenny S for those who don't know, but mm-hmm. you know, Lenny. Uh, and you know, Jock, you know, I, you know, I, I, I spoke to Lenny, then we all connected. Lenny said what the number was looking like, and you know, Jock made it happen. You know what I'm saying? And that was, you know, and and that also, you know, Jock and I joke about that all the time because you know him and Fab have like a super close relationship now. But uh, you know, for me, it was just like a relief because like you know, like you connect somebody. Once again, like you could, I'm connecting my man, you know, I'm connecting these two parties. You're putting like, your rep always, on the line. Yeah. yeah. Like you always kind of like, you always kind of like get nervous, especially like the numbers getting thrown around. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You're trying to buy pockets, but you're like, at the same right. time, you're like, yo, you know what I'm saying? I'm, right. My man don't make me look bad, but right. you know, everybody delivered on their end. It ended up being a great partnership. And, you know, they have a great relationship to this day. So, I mean, that was dope just to be a part of that and just to play my little part in that whole situation. It's also amazing to see how, like, you know, how much of all of these kind of businesses intersect, right? Like entertainment and sports and liquor, you know what I mean? Fashion, obviously. Um, and it seems like you've been kind of at the, you know, in big deals with all of those things. And then now, now you're also an agent. And so talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, you're, you're, it's funny, you remind us a lot of ourselves, right? I think we're, we're kind of very like-minded. Um, but you don't, you seem to be a guy that doesn't feel like there are any limitations on what it is that you can do. And now you're an, obviously an agent and you're with Clutch Sports. Talk to us about kind of that process and, and what that's been like. Well, I mean, I always wanted to get a player representation on some level. I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure exactly how or in, in what way I would go about it. But, uh, you know, throughout that whole process of just being with Clutch, you know, Clutch with Rich and you know, LRMR, Mav and Brian and those guys, just kind of seeing the, the business develop, um, you know, the business side of sports develop. You know, I also had a lot of relationships with a lot of you know NFL guys, and I always felt like football players kind of got the short end of the stick. If mm-hmm. you will. yes, and, uh, you know their their representation, um, the opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So I felt like you know at some point, Rich was going to come around to getting involved in football on some level. Mm-hmm. So what I you know. I was like, well, I'm just going to get certified with the NFLPA and, you know, 
start creating relationships and grinding and, you know, seeing if I can make some things shake. And mm-hmm. hopefully at some point it'll all come full circle. You know, this year it finally did. You know, we were able, you know blessed to have a great draft. Oh, yeah. That's the short version of how Right. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think it 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 underlines um, a big part of the reason why you've been successful, right? Instead of going to Rich first and saying, "Yo, Rich, let let's let's do this," you kind of figured out a way to create power for yourself, right? Getting your agent's license is a power move. Utilizing your own relationships to get started is a power move. That then when you go to someone like Rich, they take you a lot more seriously, right? No, for sure. Um, and I think that that's that's a critical critical lesson from 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 your story. So, talking about Rich a little bit, that that transition, Clutch is first of all his story is very similar, right? In terms of just kind of networking and thinking about how to find his place right. in this world without just relying on LeBron to just hand him, hand him stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got into basketball. Now you guys are in football and to make the impact that you made in the first year, getting two of the top three picks and another first rounder kind of in your first major draft class. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that process of saying, okay, we're going to get into football now and also coming in with the type of bang that you guys have come in with. So, I mean, it was just kind of like a perfect storm, honestly. Uh, you know, I, you know, like I said, you know, I had mentioned it to Rich, you know, after I got certified, like, yo, let's do this, da-da-da. He was like, I'm not ready yet, Kelt. So I just kind of was doing my own thing. And then Rich linked up with a gentleman by the name of Demaryius Bilbo, who's the head of football. He already had been kind of, you know, doing some pretty substantial business on the football space. And, uh, and it's kind of wild because – we call him Bilbo. Bilbo and I had some conversations about working together, but we never could get on the same page back, you know, even before the clutch thing. So we had somewhat of a relationship, but, um, you know, Bilbo, you know, he's, you know, he, he's a great, I mean, he has got a lot of juice in that, in that space. I mean, he played in the league for like three or four years. Um, you know, he, he helped build uh, Ty France has been, Todd France, who's a big, you know, agent at CAA. He CAA. And, uh, you know, he ended up leaving and doing his own thing. But, you know, Bilbo has a lot of great experience. And, you know, just kind of what he brings to the table and, you know, my relationships and just kind of some of the the doors that I'm able to open that kind of transcend the sport along, you know, obviously with Clutch and, you know, with the, under that umbrella, it's just kind of like, it's honestly just been a, a great partnership, man. Like, you know, I mean, like the first meeting that we had, you know, Bilbo and I had together uh, with, a, with a prospective client, like, I mean, the, the chemistry was crazy just out the gate and we had never like sat down. We didn't like have a, you know, a bunch of like long meetings, long, you know, prep meetings. We just kind of like, yo, this is what it is, you know, because we speak the same language. I mean, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know, we want to build guys' brands. We want to cultivate their brands. Want to develop them as professionals beyond the, the game. Um, you know, we, we like to make sure our clients are educated on all facets of the business. So, I mean, we 
you know, we were very, there was a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels between the way we think and the way we view the representation business. So it, it just kind of, you know, we hit it off right away. And speaking on that too, it's, you know, it seems like there's, you know, first of all, V and I have, you know, we've kind of become de facto, and I'm sure this was true for you too. We kind of become de facto kind of consultants for a lot of athletes over the years, just because we were always kind of the, smart, the smartest ones around, right? And we all knew a lot of different stuff. And it, but it always seemed like there was a space for what you're talking about, which is, uh, you know, uh, companies or entities that care more than just about getting guys signed, right? There's, they, they care about their lives. They care about their, you know, their families, their businesses, life after football, life after sports, all of that. And it seems like you guys have kind of focused on that. But another thing that I was very um, telling about this, this particular draft and you probably heard this is that, you know, I think half of the first rounders were represented by minorities. And that's right. the first time that that's ever happened. And it seems as though we're starting to see more and more kind of minorities um, enter the space and become prevalent and dominant. Have you seen that? And what is your kind of opinion on, on why that's actually happening? Well, I mean, I just think um, it was only a matter of time, uh, you know, just to be frank, I feel like football's kind of slightly behind basketballs from a uh, it's like trend standpoint, you know, like for lack of a better uh, term. So like basketball players were already kind of going in that direction with guys like, you know, going to, you know, signing with Rich at Clutch and BDA. And, you know, it was, there was already, you were already starting to see a lot more of African-American represent guys on the NBA side. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was only a matter of time before it happened on the football side. I also think that, um, you know, part of the reason why it's changing is because, um, you know, some of, you know, a, a lot of, well, a few, like the, like a, most of the, the agents that had guys in the first round, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. minority ones, they're, they're, they're just younger, you know what I'm saying? Mm. They're more energetic, they're more youthful, probably mm. a little bit more hungry. So, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, representing somebody that looks like you and sounds like you and it has some of the same experiences, that always helps. But I also just think it's just, you know, I don't think that's just, the, I don't think that's the only reason why. I think it's a youth, a youth movement too in some way. Yeah, it's, and, and maybe not so much age, but just the energy, you know what mm. I mean? Yeah, grinding and just you know reaching out and just you know because a lot of these guys they they didn't have to do any legwork you know what I'm right saying? yeah such, I mean football is such a a game of where it involves so much group thinking team thinking you know so it's kind of just like all right coach says go here so I'm going there and you know these guys they just show up and wind them and dine them and it's over with you know what I'm yeah. saying yeah right you know, so. I feel like that business model is dying now. Uh, I don't say dying. I feel like it's it's, it's under attack. <laughs> it's being yeah. challenged a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if you know other you know agencies or what have you get out and you know start you know working a little harder. But you know, I just well, well, go ahead. I have one other question on that too because it seems like the other part of this is you know a lot of these agencies that we're talking about um, and, and agents and representation, they're not just random people, right? A lot of, a lot of the power players, like for example, Young Money, obviously, you know, Clutch, you know, uh, you know, Rock Nation. I mean, these, these, these are big names 
that have celebrity and cachet attached to them. But also, and I think probably even more importantly, it seems as though a lot of these, a lot of the owners or at least the heads of some of these agencies are people who have been there and done that. So when you're actually going in and talking to these guys, you're not coming there from like just a, a person who just read some books about the business. You're a person who's been there and done that. You feel like that has a big influence also? Yeah, I mean, you know, anytime, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just le- leverage and relationships. I mean, mm-hmm. just like, I mean, you know, kid, you know, you get to take a picture with Jay-Z. I mean, that still reads, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Right. <laughs> Ron or Wayne or whoever the case, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a real thing, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to sit up here and downplay and act like it doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we feel like that, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but like in the, the instance of clutch, you know what I'm saying? We're going to do the work on the back end. It's not mm-hmm. going to be court side and flicks. It's going to be right. guys that know how, how to negotiate a contract and know how to, you know, help you with all facets of life. You know what I'm saying? So, Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's definitely attractive, you know, and it helps, uh, you know, cut through and weed through a lot of the BS and, you know, it's, it's leveled the playing field to an extent, you know, where, like I say, where you got a coach that, you know, an agency that represents every coach and every power five school, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? They just call coach and ask for a kid's number. And, you know, so, you know, it it definitely has helped level the playing field. One other question real quick, V2 on that, because you just made me think of one other thing is, is you mentioned kind of the quality of representation, right? I think that's one of the things that gets lost sometimes is when people, when we talk about the flash, there's also real serious quality representation. One example of that has been, is Rich Paul, obviously, and you know, you work closely with him. And one of the reports that came out, at least, you know, during this coronavirus period is that, you know, he negotiated the contracts for, I think, 90% of the guys who are going to get paid 90% of their salaries, regardless of what happened with this season. And I think the thing that's starting to Rich is finally starting to get credit for is actually being a ridiculously talented and smart agent, not just someone who's connected to LeBron. So what is it that you've seen from Rich and you've known him for many, many years uh, that you do you think makes him as successful as he is? Rich is. He, he has a, a very distinct capability and skill to put the right people in position and around him. He's just a natural when it comes to that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, the clutch team, like even the partnership with UTA. I mean, you know, other there's a lot of other agencies that were interested in working with Rich. Um, but, you know, Rich is very good and, and very uh, – he's very sharp when it comes to putting the right people in position and, and collaborating and partnering with the right people. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, his ability to uh, – you know, create an amazing team. I mean, obviously, you know, Rich is a super sharp dude and, you know, a hell of a negotiator. Um, but at the same time, he has multiple people that he can bounce things off of, bounce ideas off of. Oh, shit, hold on. Um, Make sure the money's right. Right. <laughs> I lost the, uh, I lost the link, man. You're still on. You're still on, though. Y'all can see me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. My bad. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, so yeah, so Rich, you know, I mean, you know, he's he's just a, he's just a smart dude, man. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a smart dude, and, and he's got a hell of a team behind him. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I feel I, that's probably, in my opinion, what you know has has really helped him. Um, and and as, as far as like this, like the more recent success that he's had. Right. Yeah, and tell tell us a little bit about your guys' relationship. Kind of what sticks with me is that you've had the opportunity to have a lot of great mentors that you took advantage of, um, but also you offered value too. You've had a, a long relationship with Rich. You've seen his his career take off. Tell us a little bit about how he's the role he's played in helping you kind of fulfill your dreams. I mean, Rich, you know, just from, I mean, just things as simple and, you know, as, I mean, the first private jet I've ever been on was was with Rich, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, just kind of, you know, just being an, an extra inspiration just in terms of, you know, like Rich always had super nice stuff, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Like, I remember, you know, back in the day, like, you know, like when we were in college, you know, you know, Rich was the first person I knew personally that had a Rolex, you know what I'm saying? Jacob watches, like, so just kind of, just always inspiring me personally as a friend and also just in, in the moves that he was making. And then, you know, Rich is, he's also a very, uh, I mean, he's, he's super honest. Like he's not going to blow a lot of smoke up your ass, you know, excuse mm. my language, you know what I'm saying? Regarding, you know, whatever it is. Like if you think you have a great idea and you bring it to Rich, if it's not a great idea, he's going to tell you. So mm-hmm. you know, the brutal honesty, inspiration, um, and just, you know, leading by example, man. You know what I'm saying? Those are some of the things that I can say, honestly, have, uh, you know, have been a real help in terms of, you know, the things that he's provided in terms of being a friend. Yeah, and and, and transitioning from Rich, kind of like the oracle of a lot of this um, has been LeBron James, right? And seeing a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, of course – everyone around LeBron's going to be successful because he's LeBron. But what's been special is that a lot of his friends and associates who have their own dreams, whether it's being a DJ, whether it's getting into marketing, becoming an agent, it seems like he focuses on making sure his friends and associates are put in position to fulfill their dreams, not just live off of his dream. Um, can you kind of tell us about that and why, how he thinks when it comes to helping his friends? I mean, honestly, with Brian, it's just like, I mean, I'm trying to think of a way to word it. Um, I mean, he's just like, I mean, it's, he literally has like a us against them mentality. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you saw from when he was young, when, you know, when he made the decision to put guys in position at such a young age, I mean, like, looking back at it now, I mean, you figure Rich and Matt, you know, they were like 25, 24 when, you know, Rich put them in position, which is kind of crazy looking back at it now because, you know, we're in our 40s, near in our 40s, and, you know, just being, just trusting guys to do business at such a high level at a young age was is is was extremely 
ball. Unprecedented, yeah. Unprecedented at the time. So um, just, you know, having that mentality of us against them, I feel like LeBron really he, he carries – I mean, he's like a super – he goes super hard for his team behind the scenes as, as much as he does, you know, on the court. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I feel like that's part of the reason why a lot of those opportunities and, and, and things have played out the way they have is because it's always like, you know – F everybody else, like, we got this. You know what I'm saying? So I know that sounds kind of cliche. And cool. No, it's, it's, it's real. You see it when you, you see it, how he operates, man. It's not it's not cliche at all. What do you think is the reason why, you know, how he developed that attitude? I mean, because, you know, first of all, I respect the hell out of LeBron, and I respect all a lot of the moves that he's made, you know, on the court, obviously, but also off the court. How, how does someone become like that? I mean, you know, just he's just so – how do you become like that? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, you know, I didn't grow up with Brian, so I can't yeah. pinpoint a specific moment or, you know, I don't have any like, great stories about right. how that may, you know, how he may have cultivated that attitude. Um, so you know, it I, seems like he, it seems like he has realized kind of how life works. Right. And at least in this country, you know, and that, and he, it, you know, like you said, it's, if it's not, us than it is them generally i mean that's just kind of how it works especially in the capitalist country right. it seems like he's he's kind of figured that out and embraced that a little bit no for sure in group he he really understands the the concept of group economics yes. um and and creating creating an infrastructure for everyone to succeed right not just eat but succeed right um and i think that that's that's also a powerful powerful part of his his story and his legacy, obviously. Right, no, for sure. One other question for you, and then we have something fun before we get you out of here, is, is you know, obviously, you know, we've, you know, this, first of all, your your story is amazing. You know, what you're doing is, is awesome. We're going to continue following you. You've done so many dope things, and you're probably going to continue to do dope things. But what is, what is your goal? You know, I mean, I, and maybe it's, a, it's a, probably a stupid question, knowing how people like us operate. We don't have one goal, but... Do you have goals for at least that you look at, you know, next 10, 20, 30 years? How do you want people to kind of look back on your career, let's say, 30 years from now? Uh, I mean, I guess, so to answer the first part of the question, like, my goal, like, when it's all said and done, I mean, I feel like there's always, like, a moving targets, you know, things of that nature. I kind of, you know, I don't. I'm not one of those people that like, you know, I, I generally don't have like a five, 10 year, 15 year plan. That's just not really how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess when it's, you know, one thing that I, I, I want to do, it's going to probably sound kind of crazy, like, but my goal, believe it or not, is I want to be the commissioner of NFL one day. I know that's, that's dope. That's not crazy. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like, you know, if Roger Goodell can do it, I can. What the mm -hmm. heck? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's you know, that's like my that's like my dream job, if you will. Yeah. As far as like, you know, like man, you know, I got my kids are older. I have two kids in college. My youngest is uh she's in the seventh grade. So, you know, that's really like majority of my energies. You know, mm. outside of work is cultivating my, you know, what's going on with my kids and things of that nature. So, you know, the ultimate goal is just being the best dad and best husband, like those type of things that, you know, you generally hear when you're a 
during these types of interviews. Sure. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's just about growth and embracing the process for me. Like, you know, people like I get ever since this clutch thing, man, I, I get blown up on LinkedIn. And, you know, like everybody's like, yo, how do I become this and how do I do that? Like, I'm damn near 40. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been. I've been kind of waiting in the wings and around, you know, a lot of, you know, incredible stuff. But at the same time, I always made sure I put myself in position for a long time. So, you know, just embracing the process and just continue to enjoy the ride is, is what it's about for me. And is, is entrepreneurship, is that a big part of your of your legacy and the way you view your legacy? I would say so. Um, mm. You know, I, I kind of feel like entrepreneurship is, uh, trying to think of the word. You know, everybody wants to be a boss now, you know, with social media and all of that. You, you know, it, it, it's kind of like cliche to an extent, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think to me it's, it's more of a mindset. An entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurship or being entrepreneurial is more of a mindset than it's just like on some, you know, a thing. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. In my opinion, you can kind of work a job and still have that same energy at a job. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's just, For sure. It's, I, I feel like it's, it's more of a mindset than actually like a thing. But yeah, I definitely feel like it's a big part of my legacy. Uh, you know, it will continue to be, you know, I, I'm an employee for Clutch. I don't own Clutch. You know what I'm saying? But at the right. time, you know, I have a lot of autonomy in my position. And, you know, I have other things going on outside of Clutch as well. Uh, you know, that's just always going to be a part of my, my nature and, and my character. Yeah. Before we get to the fun stuff, I have one last question too, is what do you think it is specifically about guys or, or, or people from the Midwest, Ohio specifically, that motivates all of us to kind of reach for the stars? I remember a full circle moment in Houston. You know, you have Mick DJing the Two Kings dinner. You got Brian hosting it. You got Rich doing his thing, Mav doing his thing, you doing your thing. I'm just sitting there like we all kind of found our own way to make it. Right. But we all started in the same place as as kids in a place that a whole lot isn't going on. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think I mean like I mean it's I think it's the lack of just resources man it just you know i feel i feel like it's a lack of resources in this area this region in terms of you know celebrity or you know entertainment or just a lot of things that people deem cool it, it, there's a void here so when we're able to you know be become a part of certain situations and create relationships we don't take it for granted and we're able to maximize it because we know how how we don't you know we know how scarce they are. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like in a lot of, you know, like people in LA or, you know, New York or even Chicago at times, you know, it's kind of like, you kind of take for granted the opportunities that are, are presented to you. But, you know, coming from a place like Cleveland, you're not going to, you're definitely not going to do that because you know that this, you know, those types of things are, it, it's, it's truly rare. Yeah. Right. I got, I got one more, one more short question and then we'll get to the, to the last thing. Uh, this is just lawyer to lawyer talk now, right? Um, do you feel do you feel like a pressure, right? In terms of like, not necessarily, a pr- yeah, I guess a pressure in terms of like style and swag and presentation. 
you know, because we're dudes. I, 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 you're, you're just like me. I see you could probably dress in a fly suit, but you could also be just how we are right now and fit it. Right. Do, do you? First of all, have you dealt with any kind type of, uh, I guess, discrimination when it comes to people kind of just, you know, guessing who you are, what you do, or what your level of intelligence can be? And then also, do you feel a pressure? I guess. Uh, maybe for the younger generation of people who are watching to kind of behave or move a certain way um, because you know that you might be a role model to people. Right. Um, well, I mean, for me, um, I guess the first part of your question, I mean, there's there's definitely been plenty of times, you know, where, you know, I've been in a room or like I remember even like uh, back when we were doing the footwear customization business, uh, one of our partners, uh, a guy that we work with, actually, that man, they actually manufacture some of our footwear. He had a daughter that was an attorney. She didn't pass the New York bar the first time. And he basically told me flat out, you're not going to pass it the first time. Wow. You know what I mean? And, mm. yeah, I just laughed mm-hmm. at myself. <laughs> right. He was one of the first people I called when I passed it the first time. That's what's up. That's what's up. You know, so That's what's up. Definitely, you know, there's definitely been some of that. And, you know, it still goes on to the day. People are like, oh, you know, like I, you know, because I'm not a person that just like walks in the room like, hey, I'm a lawyer, you know. Right, so right, right, right. Sit in a meeting or you know, just be quiet and just listen. Or, you know, I say something or you know, like Emery, he's good for just like blurting out like in the middle of a meeting. That's my lawyer right there. Right. <laughs> you know, like, Damn, you're a lawyer, like you know. Right, right. You know, I don't have a suit on, but I'm a lawyer, so mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely eye opening at times, and there has been. Some some blatant discrimination along the path. Um, but, yeah. you know, the second part of your question as far as being a role model, um, there's definitely pressure, but, I mean, I've been a father since I was 19 years old, so I've mm. always had like, somebody I had to look up to or, like, kind of walk, you know, a fine line or a straight line for, um, for essentially my entire adult life. So I'm used to that, um, if you will. Right. It doesn't really bother me. It's something I embrace. You know, I mean, I know we all make mistakes and things of that nature, but I, I don't feel like a ton of pressure uh, per se to, you know, carry myself in a certain way because I feel like I've, I've had to do that for such a long time anyway. Absolutely. All right, cool. So we're going to get you out of here on these two kind of fun questions uh, we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, the first question is, tell us your top five musicians of all time, people that kind of influence your life. Oh, man. Okay, so I I saw the question when y'all texted to me, and I tried not to, like, have a pre-planned answer, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're organic. Right. So obviously for me, Jay is Mm -hmm. my favorite musician, just in terms of not only what he's done, you know, sonically, but, you know, from a business standpoint, it's it's, it's unreal. Uh, You know, I'm still holding on to to Biggie and Pop. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of conversation about them not having, a, you know, a big enough catalog to still be in the top five. But, I mean, I just, just you know, the impact that they had in the short time where they were here, to me, it hasn't been duplicated. Mm. My, you know, right. So, yeah. uh, so those would be, you know, top three. And then the last two spots, this is a tough one, uh, you know. Man, like. I was kind of down on Kanye for a little bit, man, just in terms of like the whole, you know, the whole make America great again stuff. You know, it's that whole situation just, 
and I, I kind of felt like he wasn't really. I felt like he was losing touch with mm -hmm. reality, you know, for lack of a better word. But um, I still would put Kanye in there just because. I mean, it's hard to argue with this I mean, catalog. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. from a production standpoint, I mean, because you said musician, so from production, yep. uh, being an MC himself, I mean, the man is out here putting, you know, he's doing live gospel concerts, you know, that are drawing thousands of people, you know, and not to mention what he's done, you know, from a fashion standpoint, you know, with the whole Yeezy, you know, program. So I say Kanye for, and then... Man, I guess man, you, you gotta give it. I gotta give it to Drake, man. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's really right, and or he's there's rumors of him not writing all <laughs> uh, But I, I just can't. I mean, just you know, he's another guy. Just you know, being a, a dude from Toronto that came in the game, you know, with the underdog. The whole, you know, his whole career pretty much started off from like an underdog standpoint, and he, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was able to surpass that. And I feel like he kind of got off track a little bit when he was trying to figure out like how do I still create, you know, keep that same underdog energy, mm -hmm. even like the most popular person in the world. Right. But, um, I feel like he's kind of got it together. And he's able to walk that fine line. So I, you know, I, I, I get, you know. I'll I throw Drake in, in the mix as far as time. Good, li good list. The second part, there's a there's a two A, right? But the second the second question is your top five athletes. All right. So number one is Brian. You know, obviously there's a ton of bias there. Um, <laughs> I'm not even gonna hide it or front about it, but I mean, you know, I, in my opinion, the man's resume speaks for itself. Uh, what he's done on the court and then what he's been able to develop off the court to me is, you know, it's crazy. Um, I would say number two is Michael Jordan, just, you know, from, again, you know, just the competitive nature. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys were tuned in the last dance. Oh, seen. yeah. Somebody yes. sent me the link and I, I forced myself not to watch it. Uh, you know, all the somebody sent me like all the episodes early, but uh, you know, I forced myself not to watch it so I can enjoy it and digest it every week and you know, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, to me, Mike J is still, you know, you know, I feel like he is, is 1A and 1B with him and Brian, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just with the footwear, just growing up, just the excitement and the energy being a kid. I remember when the 11s first dropped, and mm -hmm. I had the Jordan ones, the original Jordan ones in '85. Like, right, <laughs> those memories are so nostalgic, yeah, man. So, you know, I, I still got I, I gotta throw Mike in there, even though you know he, he snitched on his, his teammates. That's what I said. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm like, you didn't have to say all that. It's, it's, he said it's past the statute of limitations. Over here. I was like, man, I got to get out of here. It's not wow. me. Nobody even asked you all that. Right? <laughs> that was, I love Mike, too. So, But, yeah, he did snitch. That was so unnecessary. But he's, he's still in there. Um, mm. I got a – so another random dude is a guy that I, I had an opportunity to have some conversations with. Uh, Doug Williams, man, quarterback from the Redskins. Mm -hmm. Back to win the Super Bowl. Not random at all. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's, well, I shouldn't say random. It's, it, it may be left field for some people. Right. Uh, 
you know, I don't know if you had a chance to ever watch like his, his football life of they do like there's like this show that comes on. I love it. I've seen it. Football life and like his was really dope. Just as far as like the trials and tribulations of him coming to the NFL and how he was kind of blackballed. And, mm-hmm. you know, he went to HBCU, right? Yeah, he went to Grambling. Grambling. He went to Grambling. Grambling yeah. He was drafted in the first round by Tampa Bay, balled out, but you know he was like, kind of like, they, they, you know, they, it was, it, it was tough. I mean, Tampa Bay. I mean, Florida's still the South. I mean, a lot of people forget that. You know what I'm saying? Mm, right. So they right. ended up like let him go. He kind of just was like making his way through the league, and he ended up in Washington, mm-hmm. and he winning the Super Bowl for the Redskins. So yeah, you know that. Uh, you know, I put I put him in my top five. Uh, um, Mike Tyson, probably number four. Just, mm-hmm. uh, um, just like his energy when we were young. Like, just you know, I don't like. I remember watching him lose to Buster Douglas and like the whole ear biting fight. Like, I remember watching. Oh, yeah. him, but just as far as like the money that he generated, the the his his skill set, the way he approached boxing. I mean, the classic sound bites. I mean, to me. Yeah. Just like, I mean, he was giving us like every anything you want in terms of uh entertainment or uh, from an athlete. I mean, he was providing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like, right, interview was like super candid, telling right, you, right. you on the camera, <laughs> right, 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 right. So, yeah, I, I throw Mike Tyson in there, and then um, number five, man, Serena Williams, man, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, just what she's been able to do. I mean, you know, like with LeBron, like I remember him coming to the league. So, you know, certain people have so much pressure on them at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Her little, I mean, her older sister was like doing her thing. They were known as the Williams sisters. So she's right. like in the spotlight ever since she was a kid. So to be able to deliver on a high level year after year, I mean, to me, it, you know, you got to take my hat off. You got to take your hat off to her. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that was my time. I like the list. I like it. So, you said you had a two-way? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you've obviously got the benefit of meeting a lot of people. Right. Is there an experience or someone that you got to meet that that stood out or was kind of like, kind of gave you that 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 nervous feeling when you met them for the first time? Um, I mean, to be honest, like, I mean, the first time I met Jay, I was kind of nervous just because it's like Jay. Like, the thing about Brian, like, I've known Brian since he was, like, basically in the league. He was, mm-hmm. like, my friend. So it was, like, not, it was just it was never really nervousness. But, like, I met Jay, like, you know, this is a guy I listened to my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, like, meeting him for the first time, that, that made me kind of, you know, I was definitely a little nervous when I met him. Um, and, and also, you meet these guys in a way where you're not just a fan. You're like no, you're like, involved. Yeah, like, so you can't even like be like on. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like you're like overcompensating for the fact that you have to be normal, right? And that kind of makes you even more nervous because you're like, damn, do I look normal? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Complicated situation. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I would say Jay probably. You know. Uh, was one of the people I was more nervous when I met, uh, but you know, I, I mean, I've met like I've met Beyonce a few times. You know, she's always super cool. Uh, somebody funny I met like 
it's funny, like I've met Meek Mill at various times in his career and just kind of seeing his transition. Like I've yeah. been around him at various times in his career and his transition of like where he is now, it's kind yeah. of dope to see his growth. Yeah, it's dope. Kind of yeah. Jeezy is another guy that was like an asshole when I met the first time, but like mm-hmm. as they've grown and I don't even, I think it's a lot of guys that are like quote unquote street guys or, you know, they just have that like, you know, if I don't know you, I'm not going to really like yeah. Right, um, right. Extra like tough, even like, I mean, like I meet these people in rooms and situations where it's like, if I'm here, I'm obviously cool, bro. Right, yeah. right. It's not right. Like, like in a club or anything like that, but you know, just, you know, that's to me, it's always cool to meet people at different stages in their career. And I've been mm-hmm. around them. Mm-hmm. Various artists at like different stages, and you know, and, and being able to witness their their own personal growth, which is kind of dope. And like you said, meeting them in the way and in the rooms and in the scenarios that you've gotten to meet them makes it makes it more special. Yeah. Well, Kelton, thank you so much, man, for joining us on the Pop Boys Podcast. This has been great, man. We look forward to keep watching you in your career. Let's connect soon, man. We have a lot of synergies, obviously, that exist uh, that we probably. Maybe now's a good time to talk about them, but we'll talk about that offline. But uh, keep doing your thing, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all taking the time and you know, inviting me on. All right, no, man. No Stay doubt, safe. Man. Right. Yeah, be keep safe. Have going. a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast, episode 27. Time for some news and notes. V, you ready? Let's get it. Let's start with some music, man. Chris Brown and Young Thug dropped a joint mixtape recently called Slime B. Uh, There's a lot of buzz about it on social media. Have you heard it yet? And if not, do you have any interest? Haven't heard it yet, um, but looking forward to hearing it. I think Young Thug, um, amongst the younger generation, is is one of the most talented artists. I don't understand 95% of what he's saying, <laughs> but, it sounds but it's good. dope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds good. It seems like a natural pairing. Um, Chris Brown can make anything sound good on anyone's record. So mm-hmm. we'll definitely check it out a little bit. Did you listen to it? I haven't yet, but Chris Brown, you know, another thing that people, you know, I guess people who know Chris Brown know that he can rap too. So I'm looking forward to seeing if he's actually rapping on it at all or if he's just singing the whole time. Yeah. Um, Kid Cudi uh, has a collaboration with Travis Scott. First time that Kid Cudi's actually had a song to hit number one on Billboard charts. And that's amazing considering how many great songs he's he's been a part of. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kid Cudi finally hitting number one? I think it's a, it's a well-deserved career accomplishment. I think um, a lot of the current sound and Kanye's sound and the current sound, even Travis Scott, um, they their sound is heavily influenced by a sound that Cuddy created and is kind mm-hmm. of the founder of, but often doesn't get credit for it. So this is this is well deserved in my opinion. And obviously he's a he's a Cleveland kid and an Ohio kid, so we're gonna root for him. We always root for the Ohio boy. I love Cuddy, so um definitely gonna keep supporting him. Let's transition a little bit out of music into some more pop culture stuff. Nicholas Cage has been tapped to play the Tiger King and upcoming upcoming in a Netflix documentary. Believe it or not, I still have not seen The Tiger King. I still do not know what it's about. I try to kind of skip over comments on it on social media because I haven't seen it yet and I don't want people to spoil it for me. But um, the fact that Nicolas Cage is about to play him seems significant. 
Yeah, I mean, if they could figure out the the perfect person to play the Tiger King, and you look at Nicolas Cage, you can actually picture it, right? Yeah. Um, him playing it. I'm I'm sometimes I'm nervous about these things because it's like we've already seen the documentary, like we already know the story. This is just a money grab, but it seems like this is going to be, first of all, Nicolas Cage is phenomenal actor, crazy guy, phenomenal actor, his first TV series, but they are actually going to focus in on how this guy transitioned from whoever he was before he was a Tiger King as a normal person and that transition into this crazy character, which I think is going to be fascinating. Okay. So, I mean, I still got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, I'm going to try to get to that as soon as possible. Let's talk some sports, um, basketball in particular. It's still, well, not just basketball. We're trying to figure out what are all these leagues going to do. The NFL is releasing a schedule. Um, baseball is trying to figure out how to operate uh, basketball. There are talks of basketball not operating. LeBron went off a little bit on Twitter about, you know, hearing rumors that people are trying to shut down basketball already and not trying to find all the angles. And then you hear stories about um, some NBA players are secretly practicing right now. Uh, trying to figure out ways to get, I mean, which isn't surprising. Obviously, yeah. you could practice without social distancing. I mean, but what are your thoughts on on a potential return for the NBA? Um, I mean, obviously, you leave no stone unturned, right? It's a biz from a business standpoint, entertainment mm-hmm. standpoint. There are multiple things on the line here, right? Obviously, player salaries, coach salaries, facilities that there are leases on, and staff that need to have jobs and get paid. So from that perspective, this isn't just about like, we need the entertainment back. There's an economy around these industries, just like in every industry that needs to be figured out. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's important in terms of players breaking protocol. I mean, I think it's not just players. I think society as a whole, um, there's only so long before they start breaking the rules per se. So I don't think that they should be held to any standard that's any different from the rest of us right yeah and one other thing too that's interesting about this and we've talked about this kind of before is that whatever you know whatever happens in the future near future it's going to be different from what we were dealing with before so there's you know there are new industries that are going to be created there's actually new jobs that are actually going to be created one of the things that um i can't remember which team it was but they're hiring like a hygiene coordinator basically for the stadium, you know, which, yeah. which you, it sounds funny, but at the end of the day, it really it's, does it's make valuable. sense because, yeah, because people are going to move on eventually. And this isn't about eliminating the risk. The risk is, is not going to be eliminated, but it's how do you reduce it? And those are the type of things that you're going to have to figure out. You know, there are actually different types of spraying systems that spray, you know, you know, cleaning products and different types of cleaning products and, you know, giving out hand sanitizer and, temperature checks and giving out face masks. I mean, there are a lot of different moving parts to this thing that could actually make it, uh, you know, a whole industry in, in and of itself. I mean, the number one thing is before you have people come into a stadium, is there going to be a reliable way to test people, right? The disinfectant mm-hmm. part is a great step, right? And it makes us all feel safer. But up to this point, we've all kind of got an idea of how, how contagious this thing is, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so just making sure and figuring out a way, how do you, how do you test people? The players obviously consistently, but then if you're going to have, whether it's 500 people or 10,000 people in, how is there going to be a way to screen these people to make sure you're not bringing in the illness? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the reality is, is the way things are going 
things are going to open up before probably we have, you know, maybe not in sporting arenas, but things are going to open up before you know if every single person that's walking in there has it. And, you know, maybe that's a high standard to have is that you need to know if every single person who walks in here has it. But given how contagious this thing may be, um, and it seems like it is, it's, it just seems like it's risky, man. Once you open things up to the public like that, and you, if you don't know if everybody has it, the fact that one person could touch something and another person can touch it, and then all of a sudden they're just spreading it, I mean, that seems dangerous. But we'll see. I mean, what, what we do know is that there are, you know, people like, I guess, you know, people hate lawyers, but one thing that I think is potentially good <laughs> about lawyers in this potential situation is people know, like, you will get sued. Don't don't fuck around here. So I mean, you that's, that's the back. main reason. It's not oh we care about our fans. <laughs> we'll just be honest. It's we don't want to get our asses sued. Yeah, so. yeah, because because the lawsuits are already starting um, for in in a lot of different ways. So that's something to keep keep an eye on. Um, we're talking about basketball, so let's obviously let's let's talk about the last dance uh, episodes five and six. It's funny as each episode you know closes, I get more and more sad about the fact that this thing is about to end. But uh, what were some of your takeaways um, that that you had for episode five and six? I mean, one of the main ones is, is this, this fascination that we as a society have with building someone up into a human, into a God, and then trying to find ways to destroy them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, when I saw that Michael Jordan wrote a check to someone for 50 grand, that's like $10 to him. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it affected any of his relationships, but it, it was that that need that everyone loved this guy so much. Let's find a way to tear him apart now. I don't know mm-hmm. why why we have that need. We're all human beings, right? Like no one is is a god, and we all have our own skeletons. I'm just fascinated by that consistent need, especially in celebrity and entertainment culture, to always find the holes and the flaws in people. We all have them. His yeah. was that he was a he was a competitive addict. And a gambler, you know. Yeah, and it's funny because you know there are a lot of things that struck me in that in the last dance, but I think the 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 biggest takeaway for me was kind of Nike looking at what Nike is today (laughs) versus what it was when they signed Michael Jordan and how he is literally. I mean, if you could really just say one person could be responsible for the success of one huge entity, I mean, how could you not attribute it to Mike? You know what he did for that brand. That was essentially an upstart at that time. They basically said, uh, and then and then the kind of the I mean colossal fa- failures uh, or at least regret that Converse and Adidas have for not signing Mike. I think um, was was fascinating. And then also Mike's agent, the fact that he was forward thinking enough to realize first of all that you know a team sport player could be branded as an individual athlete, and not just a team sport yeah, player, but Michael Jordan kind of- specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. So. And then obviously, and obviously the role his the role his mom played, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone kind of playing a role in getting him into that position yes. in Nike. And then I think also it showcases the value of having someone who is that competitive as a spokesperson for your brand, right? With mm-hmm. I told the story about what he did in the, the Dream Team Olympics covering the Reebok logo. It's like if you had Jordan in on your brand, it wasn't just that you were getting the endorsement, he was competitive with with that aspect of his career and obviously it's the biggest part of the reason he's a billionaire and it seems like watching this documentary it's it's more than well earned probably deserves right. more than he's getting you know and then and then obviously kobe you know being a part mm-hmm. of it i wish we could have got a chance to see more of him 
And also, you know, obviously we wish he was here with us, you know, kind of live tweeting this thing as well. But one of the things that he said that I think a lot of people don't really realize about Kobe is Kobe says, there is no me if there's, if there's no Michael Jordan. So don't even, that comparison, just, just stop it. I had to, I went and learned from Buddha, essentially. And that's why I am who I am today. So the comparisons, stop. That's the God. And I, and I followed in his footsteps. And, and what's also fascinating, what's really, really fascinating about this is that none of us really knew that these guys were this close until now, right? Mm-hmm. Until recently. Their ability to keep their relationship secretive, because we always thought that maybe Jordan didn't like Kobe because he was trying so hard to be like him. But mm-hmm. to know that he was a mentor to him and that he helped him throughout his entire career is... um is a beautiful thing to find out and have revealed to us. For sure. Let's talk some football first. Just obviously want to send our condolences to the Shula family. Um, RIP to Don Shula. Um, that's, you know, obviously a big loss in football. Um, no good transition from that, but yeah. What were your thoughts when you heard it? Well, he's Ohio's well known for its coaches and he's from the area and he's, Pretty much there's there's probably three or four guys that you can say are the greatest football coaches of all time, and he's on that list, right? Perfect season, mm-hmm. winningest overall record. I mean, the guy is is a force, and he is the patriarch of that Dolphins organization um, just as much as Dan Marino is, right? So mm-hmm. big loss for the football world, but he lived a long life and left a, left a great legacy behind, right? So I think that's all you Absolutely. can have. That's right. And uh, I guess one of the one other thing on football, uh, the Browns picked up David Njoku's option. Um, I guess that's it's it's not that surprising, um, but I guess it is in a way because they signed Austin Hooper right to a big deal. And um, but you know Andrew Barry said this was a no brainer for them to to sign to sign Njoku. Uh, the reason why it's I guess a little bit surprising is just seeing around the league a lot of guys fifth year options are not being picked up. I mean even Malik Hooker they said they're not picking up his option. What were your thoughts on the David Njoku thing? Um, I think you know this is where analytics comes in, right? We know the Browns are an mm-hmm. analytics based organization, and they probably calculated the value with his ceiling and said, you know what, you know. I think the Austin Hooper contract, they can probably get out of in two years, right? Mm. So if Njaku actually develops into the stud superstar um, that he can, potent, that he has the potential to reach, you suddenly have a good situation for yourself, right? And then also right. the coach um, in Minnesota, you have multiple tight ends running around in Minnesota. It seems like he values um, having multiple tight ends. Um, right, you know, too. Right, so that's right. That's, Absolutely, that's what I thought. Yeah, and the Browns run a lot of two tight end sets, also. So, um, and last thing for news and notes, I, you know, we've had a a pretty uh, engaging week on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, with some of these uh, polls that we've posted, and we're going to continue posting them. But they're pretty fun during this time period. The first one was uh, basically, you know, we pairing a, a quarterback, legendary quarterback, and wide receiver, um, four different options. Uh, we gave a scenario, the ball's in the 50-yard line, 45 seconds left, one timeout. Who are the options that you would, you know, which of these four options would you choose? The first one um, was Dan Marino and, and Ocho Cinco as an option. Um, B was Brett Favre and Jerry Rice. C was Warren Moon and Julio Jones. And D was Peyton Manning and Chris Carter. 
Um, and obviously all these guys in their prime. And obviously there's no bad answer here, right? They're even, these, these are all legends that we're talking about. But you seem to be pretty set on picking um, the Favre and Rice one. And I took the Peyton and CC one. Let's talk about it for a second. Yeah, I heard a lot of chatter about Brett Favre throwing an interception, right? And I was just like, <laughs> okay, Brett Favre, have you, do you guys go back and watch what he does? He throws a lot of – he makes some bad decisions early in games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in clutch time, he's one of the top quarterbacks of all time, right? And you pair him with potentially the greatest football player that's right. ever played in Jerry Rice, and right. you're like – these are all great options. And second for me was your choice, obviously. But mm-hmm. I think I think you got to go with the top five quarterback and, and the best receiver. If you compare Jerry Rice's numbers to any other receiver that's ever played, it's like yeah. you, you – and also what Jerry Rice has left us in terms of what he's done in clutch moments, catches mm-hmm. and plays that he's made in big games. It was like you always knew the ball was going to Jerry Rice. Yeah, right. that, that was yeah. my justification. I'm I sure. mean, I, I, first of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, right? We're we're splitting, yeah. you know, yeah, splitting, splitting high grade diamonds here, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, the reason why I like the Peyton and CC one is because of just the precision. I just, first of all, you, you know, Peyton is just going to nickel and dime. He's going to take the twelve yard out route you to death, you know, <laughs> all the way until they get into the end zone. Chris Carter might I be think. a decoy the whole drive, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And and CC, all he does is catch touchdowns. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. not dropping anything, you know. So um, I just kind of love that, love that, that uh, pairing. Uh, it's funny. I, I love doing these things because they're they're, they're kind of fun. Just to you know, imagine what the world would be like if we ever got these, got to see these. And actually hearing the analysis, right? Like because and, and yeah, because you know all of them had and people people supported all of those choices. All right? the choices got supported, and, and, they had, and they had solid reasoning behind their choices. So I think they, this they absolutely did, yeah. So that that's yeah. So people did. people should definitely hit us up on on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Let us know what you think about that one. And then the second one that we did, actually we did three, but we'll talk about one more of them. And then you could, you could find the rest of them on social media um, was the basketball one that we posted today, which is yeah. basically a two on two on two tournament. You know, you, if you pick the right, you know, combination uh, for who would win, you get a million dollars. And so the combinations were this a was Larry bird and Zion Williamson. Uh, yeah. B was Scottie Pippen and Steph Curry. C was Magic Johnson and Dirk Nowitzki. And D was Penny Hardaway and Kevin Durant. And early on, it seemed like every a lot of people were picking Penny Hardaway and Kevin Durant. That was like the runaway favorite. And then all of a sudden, there, a surge started happening with all the rest of us, starting with C, with Magic and Dirk, and then even with Scotty and, and Steph, and then with Bird and Zion. So um, obviously, again, I don't know if there's a wrong answer, but uh, your answer seemed to be... D, is that right? I felt like D was going to be the most popular answer. Mm-hmm. But I think when we were talking about it, I was like, when you're talking about a two-on-two two game, you're talking about who are going to be the most competitive guys. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to Larry Bird because I think we heard about Michael Jordan and how competitive he is, right? And mm-hmm. he just refuses to lose. I think outside of Michael Jordan, the most competitive person ever in basketball is Larry Bird. And we don't know what Zion's ceiling is yet, how good he is, especially evaluated against all the greats. But it would be D, but A is A is is kind of like a close answer for me, Bird. I, I, I like A. Um, 
I mean, I like all, I like all of the, all of the pairings. To be honest, I like the reason why uh, I like A is because of what you said about Bird. I, I don't think people realize. First of all, I don't think they realize how good of a basketball player he is, and then also how much of an assassin he is. You know, yeah. and I think that he would coach Zion up to be in the right spots, and you know, and Zion's athletic enough to to pretty much body anybody. If you think about it, like if you think about the A pairing versus the D pairing, you would have Bird would probably be on on KD maybe, or maybe he would, no, maybe he would be on Penny and Zion would body the shit out of Kevin Durant. So, yeah. I mean, they would have trouble with that. That's not, that's not like, Oh, you just automatically. Yeah, I mean, would, would, would bird play left-handed and they still win. Right. Right. Like, right exactly. We talked about that crazy stat line. He played a game left-handed a whole game left-handed. We posted the video 47 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists playing left-handed and he just decided he was going to do it like it wasn't <laughs> like he just you know i'm bored. just gonna do it yeah he was bored <laughs> so you know and i think you know again again these are just fun conversations what was, what was your what was your choice though what was yours with b if you had to choose i think i i think i want to go with a man yeah. i think i want to go with a you know yeah, like i I, too, I understand yeah. I, first of all Let's talk just real quick on D. Penny Hardaway is a complete stud, right? And when in his prime, he was a complete stud. I think people forget because he got injured and so on and so forth. But he was a complete stud, so I don't want it to sound like I'm sleeping on him. Um, but I just I love the I love the pairing. I think part of me just likes imagining what it would be like to see some of these guys play cross generation like that uh, with yeah. totally different styles. So uh, again, hit us up by, at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter, at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You'll see a lot of these that we posted. There's been a ton of engagement around them. We're going to continue to post them. Um, they're actually pretty exciting. And if you have a good idea for one of the ones that you think we should post or, you know, in a different sport or whatever, um, we would love to do that. So hit us up and let us know. Uh, that is all we have for news and notes. Shout out to Premier Podcast for getting us set up with our podcast during this quarantine period. Make sure you guys check them out for all of your podcast needs at premierpodcast.com. And make sure you check them out on social media at Premier Podcast. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Shout out to our guest, Kelton Crenshaw. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the host on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at Viswant. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. And always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out!